Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8 this Lord's Day. That is our text as we continue to walk through this book of the Scripture. If you've been with us, you know that we're at a point in Acts now where a great persecution has come to the church there in Jerusalem. And as a result, uh, the followers of Christ are spreading out. Christ had commanded this. Uh, He said this would take place, that they would be empowered by the Spirit. They would be His witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now we we see that happening as persecution has come. Stephen has been killed uh, for his faith. And after his martyrdom, you see many of the followers of Christ spreading out. And last week we looked at one of those, uh, Philip, and how Philip went to Samaria Uh, proclaimed the gospel there, and there was much fruit from that gospel proclamation. And now God has led him back to Jerusalem, uh, but he has not done with Philip. And we will see today uh, how he continues in being a fruitful witness for our Lord. So uh, if you are able to, uh, if you would stand out of reverence for the word of God as I read it for us, uh, Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Uh, This is what God's word says to us. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep He was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Ezotus, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You would pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this word. We pray, God, that you might teach us how to be more faithful witnesses as we learn more about the witness of Philip here to this man who needed to hear the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things we've talked about as we've been walking through the book of Acts is what it means to, to grow in our faith. We saw that picture when there was a, a crisis in the church, a crisis that arose, a, a complaint from the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking widows who were being neglected in the daily distribution of food in response to that complaint. uh, The apostles appointed men who would make sure that they were not neglected. And of those men that were appointed, you had Stephen and Philip. Uh, We learned about Stephen, a man full of faith, and we've learned now about Philip and are learning more about him. And as we talked about Stephen and now about Philip, we've talked about how These men grew in their faith and how uh, for us we need to grow in our faith as well. And the great news of the gospel is it is not the amount of faith you have that is important. It is the substance of your faith. And if your faith indeed is in Christ Jesus this morning, well, that's where it needs to rest. Sometimes we feel inferior as believers because we feel like, well, my faith is very weak. My faith is not strong. But the good news is 
Whether our faith is small and weak or it is great and strong, our faith is in the one who is faithful to us. And Christ does not look at us and say, well, you, you don't quite have enough faith to be my child, to be my brother. <laughs> he awards our faith, even if it's the faith that the scripture says of a mustard seed. But, but in that, we, we shouldn't simply be content then in a weak faith or a small faith. We should look to grow in our faith. And so the Christian life is a process of growth. And so we, we grow in different areas of the Christian life. We grow in our understanding of God's Word. We grow in our understanding of prayer. We grow in our understanding of, of stewardship and being good stewards of the resources God's given us. But sadly, one of the areas that's often neglected when it comes to growth is the area of witnessing and evangelism. Witnessing is one of those things to most believers that we know we should do. We know it's a good thing, but most of us, we, we, we kind of fail at doing it. Sometimes we're not sure what to say or how to say it. Sometimes we're not sure how to start the conversation. Uh, sometimes we have fears that we won't know how to answer a person's question. Sometimes we have fears that a person's going to reject us. And in spite of all those things we see, we just, we just never step out and witness and share the gospel. In fact, I would say that while most things in our life as Christians, we tend to grow in areas, that's one that we tend to do less sometimes. You know, sometimes when people become believers... Especially uh, as an adult, they, they naturally tell other people about their faith. They're, they're excited to tell people about how they've become a Christian. They, they begin to witness immediately, but then they get around us in the church, and sometimes that witnessing just kind of diminishes. This morning, I, I don't want to put a guilt trip on all of us. I don't want us to walk out of here feeling, oh, I know I should share more. I, I just feel guilty that I don't. I just want us to consider what the Word says about being a witness, and consider what it looks like to be a faithful witness. The, the goal in the Christian life is not for you to be a fruitful witness. Sometimes we think, well, I tried to share my faith, the person didn't respond, it wasn't very fruitful, maybe that's just not my giftedness. But God calls us in the Christian life to grow in all these areas, not just those areas where we're naturally gifted or where the Spirit gifts us. Sandy and I have commented often about how <clears throat> when we think about gifts in the Scripture and spiritual gifts, unfortunately for our children, neither of us have the gift of mercy. <laughs> Dad, I don't want to go to school today. I feel bad. Well, that's just too bad you're going to school today. You know, Some of you, oh, let me check your temperature. Let me pet you. I, I just don't, I don't have a lot of mercy. Now, I know that will come back on me one day when I'm old or than I am now. And I say, kids, I don't want to go out today. Yeah, get in the car. We're taking you to Walmart or whatever it is. <laughs> but just because I may not be spiritually gifted <clears throat> in the area of mercy, that, that doesn't mean that I can then neglect mercy. That doesn't mean that I can just show a complete lack of mercy and say, well, I don't have the gift of mercy. You know, if someone starts to talk to me, I don't, I don't have the gift of mercy. Any more than if I don't have the gift of giving, that means that when the plate comes by, I can say, well, I don't have that gift, you know. The guy next to me, maybe not me. But, but we kind of tend to view evangelism that way. We kind of tend to think of witnessing as, well, I'm just not gifted in that area. This person may be gifted. Philip, of course, was gifted. Philip, the Scripture refers to him in Acts as the evangelist. He's the only one in the book of Acts who's called the evangelist. If there was anyone gifted with the gift of evangelism, it was Philip. So sometimes we look at the Philips of the world and we think, well, those are the ones gifted to be witnesses. And so I'll just kind of not do that. I'll focus on these other areas. But I think what God calls us all to do is to be faithful to tell other people about the gospel. And I hope that you'll see that as we walk through this passage together. I hope that you'll see what, what that looks like to be a faithful witness. So I don't want you to go out of here today with a bunch of guilt. I, I want you to go out of here today with the Word of God encouraged to, to be a more faithful witness for Christ. We'll begin by looking at the first point that we see here in Acts chapter 8. A reminder, point one, that a faithful witness is simply one who is empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is something I mentioned a number of times already, and I'll continue to mention it. The overwhelming fruit that you see of the Holy Spirit's empowerment in the book of Acts is gospel proclamation. That there's a lot of confusion in the church today about, well, what does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? And what are the fruits of the Spirit? And how do you authenticate if someone's truly 
filled with the Spirit. What we see consistently in the book of Acts is when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they tell people about Jesus. That happens time and time again, and it's no different here with Philip. He is a man who is empowered by the Spirit and filled by the Spirit, and as such, he is one who who is dependent on God to lead him to be a faithful witness. Now think about the context of what's happened here. Philip was there in Jerusalem. He becomes a believer. Uh, He is probably sharing the gospel there with many others. Persecution comes to the church. They're now scattered. He goes up to Samaria, goes to a place where people are different than him, uh, different customs, different background, probably look different, act different, and yet he goes there faithfully and he shares the gospel. And what happens? Well, if you were here last week, you know that many people respond to the gospel. And in doing that, God blesses His ministry there where He's actually seeing people healed and miracles take place. That this, if it was being measured as a successful evangelistic campaign, would have been a successful evangelistic campaign. In fact, it gets the attention of the apostles back in Jerusalem to the, to the extent that they send to to go check it out. <laughs> Man, that Philip, he's doing something there. So you can kind of imagine as Philip comes back to Jerusalem some of the conversations that may have been taking place. Perhaps the apostles pulled Philip aside and said, Philip, you know, God's God's really using you. God's really blessing you. We've got to get you into some more places. There's a lot of cities God's leading us to go to, and man, He's used you here, and so we're going to send you over here. There's thousands who need to hear the gospel, and here's another Samaritan village. Thousands who need to hear the gospel, and perhaps they're thinking about how they're going to See, God used Philip to expose all these people to the gospel. Because that, that's kind of what we would do today, isn't it? Someone shares the gospel and many people respond and all of a sudden we plan crusades around them. We start booking out stadiums. Man, God's really using their testimony. So we've got we to gotta jump on this. We've got to plan this. We've got to send them all over into all these cities with tens of thousands of people so they can share this and people can respond. But what does God do with Philip? An angel, an angel comes to him and says, Okay, Philip, here's what's next. Go south. Doesn't tell him what he's going to do. Doesn't tell him who he's going to talk to. And then Luke kind of inserts a little commentary here to help us understand the direction he's going and what he would know about this road leading to Gaza. And he simply says this. It's a desert place. (laughs) So think about that for a moment. It's at this point in Philip's ministry where you would expect, where if we were planning, we would plan opportunities for Philip to go and preach to thousands of more people. I mean, look at what happened in Samaria. And God says to him, well, no, actually, Philip, I want you to go to a desert place. I want you to go to the middle of nowhere. This is radically different than what we might expect, and it's very different than what we might plan. And it's a great reminder to us, church, that God's ways are often not man's ways. And that we have to be careful in our reliance on what we think should be the next step and what should naturally come. And, well, this is what this church did, so we should do it. Or this, this program's blessed over here, or we should do it. We need to be careful about those things that we just don't jump on them thinking, well, if God did this here, He'll surely do this here. So if we're not careful, we're not too far from Simon the magician in the last passage saying, I want to buy the work of God. We're not careful. We go buy the campaign and the kit and we say, we want, to, we want the Holy Spirit to work here. Where do we sign up? Here, God works as God works. And we need to discern that. How do we discern that? We discern that by being empowered and led by the Spirit of God. And here we see Philip doing that. And as he does, he's told, okay, I want you to go to this desert place. And notice his response in verse 27. He doesn't say, okay, well, what, do you, what am I going to do there? Well, now, are you sure about that, God? <laughs> you think of it in our life. Sometimes we're on a certain path and things are going really well. And perhaps the Lord is saying to us through many different means, His Word, His Spirit, other believers, hey, I really, I want you to go over here and do this thing. And we're thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to make as much money doing that. I'm not as gifted as that. Surely God's done all this in my life so He can put me on this platform. And we have all these questions. What does Philip do? He rose and went. 
Man, for that, that kind of obedience in my life, in your life, for us just to be so empowered and led by the Spirit that we say, okay, Lord, you tell us where to go and we will go there. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to man or not. That, that's the picture we have here in Philip as one who is empowered and who is led by the Spirit, who doesn't go according to man's plans, but he goes where God leads him. And as he goes there, then the Scripture tells us he encounters this Ethiopian, a eunuch, Kids, you want to know what a eunuch is? Ask your mom and dad at lunch today. (laughs) He encounters him. And we find that he's a man who's been entrusted with much. In fact, people who were eunuchs, ask your parents, were entrusted often with the king's harem. You want to know what a harem is? Second question for your parents at lunch. So these guys were usually entrusted with the king's harem because the king knew nothing's going to happen there and I can trust them. And then often they got positions of trust outside of that. And here we see this Ethiopian official was entrusted with all the treasure of the queen of Ethiopia. And it's important that we recognize Ethiopia in the context there is much larger than it is today in our current map and our current world economy. In fact, in this day, Ethiopia was a, a very powerful region. It was much larger than what we see on the map today. And from it came much influence and much power. We, we read about people coming from that area. For example, all the way back in King Solomon's day, there's a queen who comes from that area, the queen of Sheba. She comes from this region of the world. And if you remember what happens there, she comes to Solomon and she asks Solomon, she, she inquires of him because she has heard about his wisdom. Solomon's one you know who God blessed with great wisdom. And his wisdom was known of to all these places in the world, including this part of the world. And so this queen comes because she wants to know, okay, does he, does he really have this much wisdom? Does he know all these things? And so the scripture tells us she just starts asking him questions and questions and inquiring of him. And, and it confirms to her, my goodness, he, he does have this wisdom. And even in that text we see in that exchange with Solomon... Her affirming and acknowledging the God who has blessed him. And we don't know everything that took place in that conversation. But, but I'm assuming in the context of all the things Solomon talked to her about that he mentions the one true God of Israel. And from that, perhaps she took that knowledge back down to her people because now, a thousand years later, we have this Ethiopian official coming from that region of the world notice to do what? He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And we don't know what he knew. We, we know that he doesn't understand God's word. We don't know what had transpired to get him to that point. But what we see here very clearly is God has directed him to go to Jerusalem to worship. And then in leaving worship to return home, he has directed Philip to then interact with him. And they're going to have this conversation about the gospel. It's a reminder to us, very simply, that God uses people. He uses you and I in order to tell others about Him. And think about that for a moment. God created everything out of nothing. You and I struggle to create a bicycle when we have a list of instructions. (laughs) God, out of nothing creates everything. He is not limited in His power and His ability. And so our God we serve, if He so willed, could make the gospel obvious to every man, woman, and child on the earth today by whatever means He chose to do that. God could write the gospel in the clouds in a language that people could read in every place there's a language that people could read. God could speak from heaven, and a voice in every language that people speak a voice could understand. God could reveal the gospel to man in any way He chose to do. And what we see consistently in His words that what He has sovereignly chosen is you and I. And He has asked us, He has called us to go out and to share the gospel with others. And we see an example of that here with Philip. And it's a great reminder to us of what we read In Romans chapter 10, where Paul writes this, chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a great truth that we hold on to. God can save anyone. 
the, the person in your life and my life today who we think about and we think, man, I don't know, they're, they're pretty far gone. They, they don't seem to want to have anything to do with the Lord. They seem so content in their sin. The scripture tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The news story comes on TV, paper, we read about this person who does atrocious, wicked, evil things to another. And we think, oh, what, what? there's no hope for that person. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we hold on to that. We go, okay, God, you, you can save anyone. But, but notice what he then says. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Okay, so anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they going to call on the name of the Lord if they don't actually believe in him? They don't know about him. Continue. And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? Okay, they're going to believe because they hear. But if they haven't heard, how are they going to believe? And if they don't believe, how can they call him? How are they going to hear? You see where he's going. And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are you going to preach unless they're sin? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you see the pattern here? The God of the universe who could reveal the gospel to everyone in any way He chooses has chosen us. And He's chosen us to go and to speak it, to preach it, to proclaim it. Well, I'm just a witness in how I live. We hold on to that one though, don't we? I'm, I'm just going to... People will see the gospel in my actions. People will, will recognize the gospel in how I live. I'll, I'll just be a witness in how I do things. There's plenty of hypocrites out there yelling all kinds of things. I'm just going to live it out and I'm going to walk the walk and, and then people will know God by looking at how I walk. There are a lot of problems with that. Let me point to one. There is one person who has walked this earth in such a perfect way that people could look to his actions and see his perfection in walking his walk. And he spoke the gospel. Jesus not only walked the walk, he proclaimed it. And he shared it. And he called people to faith and repentance. And he addressed people in their sin. He opened up his mouth and he spoke it. If Christ spoke it and called me to speak it and you to speak it, then we need to do that. And the real truth is, is that even though we might hold on to this logic that, well, people will just see God in my actions. Really? (laughs) Think about your actions. (laughs) See, most of our actions fall greatly short. But God's word doesn't fall short. And God tells us to go and to proclaim. We are the means by which he has chosen to reach people with the gospel. And then as we do that, friends, we have a dynamic opportunity to experience what Philip experiences. I don't know that any of us are going to have the the Samaria experience of Philip. (laughs) where we show up in this place and nobody's ever heard the gospel and people are getting healed, miracles are being performed, and all these people are coming in to know Christ. I don't know that any of us will experience that. But I believe that every one of us can experience what we see here in the remainder of chapter 8, where he goes and he shares the gospel with this man who happens to be reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah on a scroll, and desperately wants to know what it means. I think God can use every one of us in that environment because what we see here is a divine appointment from the Lord for Philip. He says to Philip, I want you to go south. He doesn't tell him who he's going to encounter. He doesn't tell him, all right, make sure you brush up on Isaiah before you go. He just says, be faithful and go. But what happens there is Philip finds himself in the middle of a divine appointment. Now think about that. Some of you have a routine, a schedule. You have appointments. Those appointments are in your schedule because either you or someone else set that appointment up. And so let's say, for example, you have an appointment tomorrow at 1 o'clock to meet with someone and you show up there to meet with them and it's been prearranged. They're probably not going to look at you at 1 and say, what are you doing here? Well, I'm surprised to see you. I can't believe, what a coincidence. No, they're going to look and say, it's good to see you today. Why? They're expecting you. 
An appointment was set. You are them set it. You are planning. It's prearranged. You're going to meet at that time to discuss or do whatever business is at hand. And you're not going to be overwhelmed or surprised when you walk in and you see them there. They see you there. Why? It's an arranged appointment. Do you realize that the sovereign God of the universe has arranged appointments for us? They're divine appointments. And we see one here. This is a divine appointment. There's nothing coincidental about this. God has sovereignly placed His faithful servant Philip along the path of this Ethiopian God-seeker in order that they might hear the Gospel. And do you understand, do you realize that God does that in our lives today? And that He calls you and I simply to be faithful. We don't wake up in the morning and have a divine day planner where God says, okay, at 12.25, you better make sure you witness to so-and-so at the gas station. But what we do have is a sovereign God who orchestrates and arranges things in such a way to place us in opportunities in the lives of people that He is already working on and calling to faith and repentance. And friends, what a blessing it is in those opportunities for us to simply be faithful witnesses and to tell people about Christ. I shared many times how I spent years at Western Kentucky University as a campus minister, Sandy and I, and our primary job responsibility was to share the gospel with college students. And so each year we would do different events where we would get surveys and information from students. Basically, we would get their permission to come talk to them, and so we would then spend the rest of the semester, the rest of the school year, going and knocking on doors in the dorm and, and, and following up with people who had indicated, yes, I'd be interested in talking about spiritual things or Bible study or whatever the, the questionnaire might have asked. I remember one day, nearly 20 years ago now, I was walking on campus, uh, nothing special about that day. Nobody had had a great response. It was close to the end of the day. I had another name on my list, a student named Jeremy, who I was supposed to go and, and talk to. I can remember thinking that day, and I'm sure I thought this many days, you know, it's almost time to go home. <laughs> it's been a long day. I, it gets really wearing sometimes talking to college students about the gospel when you're waking them up for naps and they don't want to talk. And I thought, no, Lord, you, you've, you've set me in this place to do this. And so I went and I knocked on Jeremy's door thinking maybe he'll not be home. Well, he was home. He was sleeping. College students sleep a lot during the day. but We started talking I started talking to him about the, the questions he had on this questionnaire. I told him who I was. We started talking about the gospel. Very soon I found that Jeremy, he, he knew nothing about the gospel. He grew up in Elizabethtown down the road, but had, had maybe once or twice been physically in a church building in his life. Knew nothing of what the Bible said. In fact, I was reading to him a verse out of John 3.16, and he said, I have a question, who is John and what is 3 and what's 16? You know, he just had no concept of what that was. So we went through the gospel, and at the end of it, he, he didn't respond. He didn't say, I want to become a Christian. He, he just had a bunch of questions. So I said, okay, let's do this, Jeremy. Let's, let's get together next week for lunch. I'll, I'll buy you lunch, and you ask your questions. I've I, I learned already an important truth in witnessing. If you will buy someone's lunch, you can share the gospel with them any day of the week, especially college students. But it works in Bloomfield, too. And so... Bought him lunch, had a conversation. Well, that lunch led to another and another. I ended up meeting with him for months. And at the end of each conversation, I would always ask him. I'd kind of illustrate on a piece of paper, a, piece of paper, a life with Christ, a life outside of Christ. Where are you without Christ? Where do you want to be without Christ? Okay, well, let's have lunch again. And we just kept going and kept going until the day when, it, when he said, I follow Christ now. I was like, what? Yeah, and he, he had made a decision to follow Christ. And we started talking about him repenting and having faith, and it was great. And He said, I've got to show you something, because this has happened like over a Christmas break. And so he took me to the computer lab. Side note, there was a day when you didn't get emails on your phone, and on a college campus you had to go to a place called a computer lab to check your email. Check back in. So we go down to the computer lab, and he starts showing me these emails, and his friends are just all, they, they don't know what's going on with him. His life has changed so radically just in a couple weeks. And one of them's like, Jeremy, are you drinking poison and juggling snakes now? What's going on with you? And he said, I, I'm excited about being a Christian. I, I don't know what to say to them. Can you help me? And so we started talking about how do you witness, how do you evangelize. And soon in that conversation, he said, well, hey, can, can you go talk to my friend Matt? Because he grew up in this other religious tradition, and he doesn't think he can become a Christian. But I've told him he can, but he doesn't think he can. And so can you go tell him that he can become a Christian? 
Okay, yeah, I can do that. So go knock on Matt's door. Well, Matt stood up off his bed. He's this big offensive lineman for Western's football team, pretty intimidating guy. And he looks at me standing beside Jeremy, and he's like, are you the guy that can tell me how to become a Christian? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, good, because I've got a lot of questions. And so he starts going through all these questions. And then something comes up. He's got to go. He said, hey, hey, can you meet me for lunch tomorrow to talk to me more about this? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Let me see. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Sit down with him the next day. Long story short, go through the gospel. And this big offensive lineman for Western football team, in tears, just gives his life to the Lord. It, it, it was obvious to me that God was doing something there. It wasn't that I woke up that morning and said, well, God, where do you want me to go today? As I was faithful, God did something. Fast forward that story a couple weeks. As I got to know Matt, I realized that he had a, a brother who was a twin who played football at another university, and he was telling me his brother had become a Christian also, not too long before that, and that they had an, other, an older brother who played professional football, and that he had become a Christian like a year before. Well, that's really interesting. The university his brother went to, I knew a guy there, I emailed him, I said, yeah, I was, I was emailing you because I met this guy, Matt, and he said his brother goes to school there. I didn't know if you knew him. He said, oh, yeah, I know him. I led him to the Lord. And we start exchanging these emails. Well, here, here's what that comes down to. He, he didn't realize at that point that Matt had become a Christian. He said, listen, man, we're praying for Matt. In fact, uh, on such and such a day at time, actually, I got together with him and his older brother got together with the guy that led him to Christ. And we just, we just prayed real specifically that God would send somebody to him to share the gospel with him. I'm going to look back on my day planner. It was the exact day and time I went and shared the gospel with him. Now, I don't share that to say, look at how great I am at this. <laughs> There's a lot of times I haven't been faithful. And I didn't get up that morning and say, okay, God, show me in your divine appointment book who am I going to talk to today. I was just being faithful to share the gospel. God had been doing something there a long time before I came along. And he simply invited me, as he invites all of us today, just to be a part of what he's doing. That's what witnessing is. It's not you going out there creating fruit or you having to know what to say or you having to have this book of answers for someone. The sovereign God of the universe is in the business of calling men and women to children in faith in Christ. And he invites you and I to simply be there and open our mouths and be a part of the process. And that's the work he has done, he is doing, and he will do. That's exactly what we see here. Philip is walking in a random, remote place to a desert place, and all of a sudden, this chariot comes along, and he's not at the point yet where he can hear what's going on there. He just knows, okay, there's an official, they're from another nation, and then the Spirit says to him, run over there. And again, you can imagine what might be going through Philip's mind. Okay, Lord, I've, I've go, I'm going to the desert place you've called me to go to, and I don't know why I'm going there. And now you want me to run over to this official. It doesn't tell him what he's supposed to do with that. But what does Philip do? Philip simply obeys, and he does exactly what the Lord leads him to do. And as he does it, notice what he hears. This Ethiopian official is reading from the book of Isaiah. It's a reminder to us, point two there in your notes, that a faithful witness is someone who's able to share the gospel from God's Word. That's exactly what we see Philip do here. He, he hears this Ethiopian official reading from Isaiah. And, and look at what he's reading. He's in there reading. Do you understand that? I, I don't. Somebody needs to help me. Well, let me, let me know what you're reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Yeah, I think I can help you understand that. Very clear passage in the book of Isaiah talking about who? Talking about Jesus. Now, now notice how Philip addresses this guy. He's reading the scripture and Philip's question to him is what? Do you understand it? That, that, that is something you and I need to ask people. We, we assume if they've read the Bible that they understand it. We, we speak to people in the church who've read the Bible all their lives as if they understand it. And yet the truth is, there are many who read it and they don't understand it at all. And we, in witnessing, have the opportunity to help them understand. And, and so be careful when someone tries to impress you with their Bible knowledge that you don't automatically take that as them understanding the Gospel. I've had many people say to me, 
Oh, yeah, well, I've read the Bible. Great. Do you understand it? Huh? You look at Isaiah 53 with me. Do you understand that? I had a guy not long ago sitting in my office and calling him to repentance and just talking to him about the gospel. And he's like, man, I, I know all about the Bible. I know everything in the Bible. One, he probably didn't. Most people say that. They don't know anything about the Bible. But I just want to, okay, maybe, maybe he's read the Bible. So I, have you read? The, oh, yeah, I've read the Bible a bunch of times. Great, great, great. Do you have any clue what it means? <laughs> he's looked, what do you mean do I know what it means? Yeah, do, can you tell me? Give me, a, give me a, a, a paragraph summary of the Bible. Huh? See, see, we're so accustomed to someone says, well, I've read it. Okay, that's fine. No, Philip here, the eunuch, he is actually reading it in front of him, and he says, do you understand it? Friends, that's what we have the opportunity to do. Help people understand God's Word. And here we see Philip do that as he then, the Scripture tells us, starts with this passage and then teaches him about Jesus. Notice what Philip does. Notice what Philip does not do. Philip doesn't say, all right, we'll put that scroll down. Let, let me tell you my testimony. Let, let me tell you about all these things God's done in my life. See, that's kind of how we tend to think about witnessing, isn't it? It's all about us telling people our story. And there's a place for that. But we need to be careful that we don't overshadow Christ's story with our story. And that's kind of what we do sometimes in sharing our testimony. And Philip, my goodness, what a testimony he had. <laughs> okay, so I was, I was in Jerusalem because there was a festival there. And so I came from where I lived and I went to this festival. As I'm walking through town, I hear this Jewish guy speaking Greek in a dialect that I understood, and he starts talking to me in a language that isn't common to him, and all of a sudden, I hear the gospel of Jesus, and I respond to it. And then, as we get involved in this church, uh, uh, they, they, they put me in a position of leadership, and you know I was one who was in charge of a very important role in the church, and then, then I went down here to Samaria. Now, you've got to understand, those Samaritans, they don't know anything about God. So I started telling about Jesus, and guess what? Man, I was healing people, and miracles were happening, and people were coming to Christ. I mean, Philip, he's got a pretty good testimony. And he could have talked about it a lot. He could have shared all kinds of details about how God had used. That, that's kind of what we do today, isn't it? We kind of focus on the dramatic. Let me, let me tell you about all these things God's done. Again, there's a place for it. But here's what we have to be careful. Sometimes we just share so much about ourselves that we never end up speaking about the one who saved us from ourselves. Well, we need to share about Jesus. Notice what Philip does. And he said to the eunuch, Jesus. He doesn't talk about himself. He starts with that passage. He tells him the good news about Jesus. We are called to tell people the good news about Jesus. Sometimes we think we've got to have this dramatic testimony to share with people. You have heard those. I was at a conference once, guys, giving this dramatic testimony about how wicked his life was and how he was just in the gutter and he was a drug addict and alcoholic and, and homeless and all these things and, and then he turned six years old. I mean, it was like, gosh, you know. And we, we hear those sometimes and, and then like a friend of mine, we were at a conference like that. This guy's giving his testimony. He turned to me and he said, man, I, I don't have that dramatic of a testimony. I wish I had a more dramatic testimony. I was like, Why? So said, well, mine's boring. You know, I, was, I grew up in the church and I heard about the gospel and I responded to it. <laughs> I said, I pray my children have your testimony, not his. The, the, the dramatic, the powerful part of our testimony is not how wicked and messed up we were before the gospel. That the powerful part of our testimony is that there is a sovereign God who loved us enough that sent His Son to die for us in our place on the cross, poured out His wrath on Him that we, in repentance and faith, might have life in Christ. That's where the power is. And if we're not careful, we talk so much about ourselves, we never get to the gospel. Or if we do, people kind of look and go, well, my life's not messed up as yours was. You needed that, but that's not what I need. What people need 
to know is what God's word says. And we must know how to open up the word and share with them the powerful message of the gospel. And that's what Philip does here. And you may hear that and think, okay, that's great for Philip, but where do you start? (laughs) Where, Where do you begin? Look in your worship guide there. You've got a list of 40 verses. This is a great place to begin. Dr. Tim Booker, who pastored this church for a number of years as your interim, uh, he gave me this list of verses uh, in my early days of seminary. In fact, one of my course requirements was to memorize all these verses and to write them all out verbatim on a test. And I'm so glad I did because I come back to them often. You see, friends, it's not enough for us to read the Word and even understand the Word. We need to know the Word so we can share it with others. And again, you might think, man, to memorize, I don't, I don't hey, Start working through them. Start reading through them and and see how God uses passages like this for you to witness to others. How many times have you had someone say to you, man, what a beautiful day. Look out, look what a beautiful day is it. You know a great response to that? It's right there. Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. I've shared that verse with a number of people. Is that, oh, what a great day would be. You know what? The heavens declare the glory of God. You know what no one's ever said to me? Well, you're a Bible beater. How dare you tell me how to live? (laughs) You know what they normally say? Huh. I hadn't thought about that. And all of a sudden there, it, it just opens up this door to start talking to them about your faith in Christ. Yeah, this declares the glory of God. But you know what? Look at what else you see in the world. You see a lot of stuff that's not pretty. You see a lot of stuff that's pretty messed up, a lot of stuff that's wicked. So how do you have God, the heavens declaring His glory, and you look around the world and you see what doesn't declare His glory? You ever thought about that? The Scripture explains that too. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's this distance between God and man because of our sin. But in His goodness, He doesn't leave us there. The Scripture says the wages of sin is death. He doesn't leave us there. Because that's why he gave Jesus to us. Has anybody ever talked to you about why Jesus died on the cross? Do you understand that again? Lots of people know that Jesus died on the cross. But a lot of people don't know why. And a lot of people don't understand it. And we have the opportunity in witnessing, going through passages like these to say, he died because he died in our, in our place. He paid the penalty for our sin. He took God's wrath on our behalf. And you know what? As we have faith in Him and repent, then we can have life in Jesus. And friends, we do that not by just focusing on our journey and our testimony. We do that by just opening up God's Word to people. Let me remind you of an important truth from the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Yeah, but what if they ask a question and I don't know how to answer it? For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Yeah, but what if, what if they reject me? What if they don't want to hang out with me? What if they get upset with me? What, what, if, what if, you know, I, they start asking me, what, what do I... For the Word of God is living and active. That means this is not a cold, dead book. It's living and active. It's a sword. That means that as you open this up to people, God says it literally will grab them. And it'll say, listen to me. Repent and have life. God does that work through His Word. But if we don't ever open it up, if we don't ever share it with people, what are we trusting in? We're trusting in ourselves. And I think that's what keeps us from being faithful and witnessing the most. And that's the point I want to leave you with, this reminder. That being a faithful witness isn't about us, it's about God. See, a faithful witness, point three, understands that God is the one who brings repentance and faith. It is not your responsibility or my responsibility to go save someone today. It's not our responsibility to convert someone. 
God is the one who works in people's lives to draw them to repentance and faith. And he invites us to be a part of that process. And he commands us to go out and to share the gospel. And as we do that, notice what he does. Philip opens his mouth, begins with the scripture. He tells him the good news about Jesus. How does the Ethiopian respond as they're going along? They see some water and he says, hey, is there anything that would prevent me from being baptized? No. And some of your uh, translations have verse 37 in there. The ESV doesn't have it. Others don't have it because it wasn't in early manuscripts. But for those of you who have it, basically verse 37, Philip then says to him, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. And he replies, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, whether that's in there or not in there, we know that he makes some type of confession because what does Philip do? Philip baptizes him. Why? Because he believes. Now think about this for a second. As successful as Philip was in Samaria, everybody didn't respond to the gospel. At least not genuinely. We talked about that last week. Simon the magician, he he seemed to respond. He believed he was baptized, but what happens? Then he wants to buy the Holy Spirit. Then the, the fruit there shows he's not repentant at all. So Peter calls him out on that. And Peter basically says, listen, Simon, you need to repent. If God will even let you repent and save you from the wrath that is coming down on you. And do you remember what Simon says? Simon says. He says, well, would you pray for me that that doesn't happen? That's not repentance. Sharing the gospel with someone and them saying to you, well, will you pray that God's wrath doesn't follow me? That, that's not repentance. That is basically them saying, eh. And that, that's what Simon does. Notice what the Ethiopian does. He believes, he repents, he wants to be baptized. That reminds us of what I want to leave you with today. This, this reminder. The gospel calls for a response. And God is the one responsible for the response. You and I are called to be faithful witnesses. And as we are, God will bring people into His kingdom. I do not know God's plan for any of you or those in your families or those you desperately love and desire to see come to faith. I don't know what God's going to do there. But I do know this. As we are faithful to share the gospel, as the scripture says here, Philip, he opened his mouth and began with the scriptures. As we are faithful to do the same, God puts us in the midst of divine opportunities where we then can see him bear gospel fruit. Do not leave here today thinking, well, if I just try harder, they'll become a Christian. (laughs) Thinking, oh, I just can't believe. No. Leave here encouraged that God is at work drawing people to faith. And then he invites us to be a part of it. And it's a wonderful thing, guys. It's a one, uh, there's nothing else I would rather be a part of than see people pass over from death to life, from darkness to light. And the invitation is there for all. I was reminded of just how sovereign God is in this process. Just this last week, I was having lunch with a friend. He's a missionary in West Africa. I've shared about him before, Mark, and we were having lunch with another guy who was a friend of ours who had been there to Africa and they were telling me about their last experience together in Africa. They're there in sub-Saharan Africa. You talk about a desert place, it's a desert place. And they're, they're walking from village to village quite a distance by foot. And there's this long road between these cities and there's just nothing out there. Not people walking around, not anything. But as they're walking, all of a sudden, that this guy comes out from another path and they just intersect there in the middle of sub-Sahara Africa. And they start having a conversation. And as they're having this conversation, my two friends, they kind of stand out in sub-Sahara Africa. And so the guy's asking, what are you doing here? And they start talking. Well, Mark and Sean, they start sharing the gospel with this guy. Never heard the name of Christ in his life. And and he, he repents, places his faith in Jesus. They said as they were leaving... This guy turned to him and said, you know, something is very clear to me. God sent you here today to talk to me. They told that story. I thought, man, that's just great. What a, what a wonderful thing to be involved in and see. Man, I can't wait till the next time I can go overseas and see something like that. And God just said, 
I'm not bound by geographical location and divine appointments. See, stuff like that doesn't just happen in sub-Sahara Africa. There are people in our community within walking distance of this church God's doing something in their life right now. He's calling them to repentance and faith, but they don't understand. And they may have read the Bible many times, they don't, they don't understand. They need someone to go and to share with them. They need someone to open up their mouth in the Scriptures. And God is inviting you today to do that. And so I want to ask you very simply today, as we have a time of response, to, to pray about that. To pray about who it is God may be inviting you to talk to. Students, there might be somebody in one of your classes and you don't know anything about their faith and you, don't, you haven't talked to them about your faith. Pray about perhaps God tomorrow morning as you walk in might use that first few minutes before class just to start a conversation about the gospel. Friends, you might, you might have someone that you see every week through your routine and your, the community, through your work, whatever it is. And, and, and you know, they know you're a Christian and you kind of know where they're at, but you've never really had a conversation about the gospel. Maybe God has so orchestrated things today that you would hear this very word to encourage you to step out in faith and open your mouth and open the scriptures because he is already orchestrating this divine opportunity. Do you believe that God can do that? I, I do. And I think we see it consistently through His Word. And so I pray that He will in your life and in my life as we step out to be faithful witnesses in the coming days. And so I just ask you this time, just pray for those people. Pray for those opportunities. Pray for those appointments. If God's leading you to come and, and confess Christ, to, to respond to this gospel, to join the church, certainly we invite you to come. If you want to come here and pray, God may have impressed in your heart many things to pray for today. But I want to ask everybody to pray for that. Pray by name for someone that you and I might be faithful witnesses to them in the coming days. If you would stand together and pray with me as we have this opportunity for response. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for your word. And Lord, I I pray that you would help us to erase from our conversations, this idea of coincidence. Lord, that we might see your sovereign hand at work all around us. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus and the power of your Spirit that you would put faces on our minds, that you would put names on our hearts. Lord, as I I think about a couple right now, I pray, Lord, that in faith that I would share the gospel with them, not next month, not next year, but, Lord, in the coming days, that you would give me the opportunity to sit down and to boldly proclaim the gospel to them because they need it. And, Lord, I pray for each of us, God, that you might burden us and encourage us at the same time, Lord, that you're at work all around us and you're drawing people to faith. And, Lord, you're inviting us to be a part of that. And so, Father, I pray that, that, that we would just take a moment now Lord, as we sing, that we would just just pray and ask that, that you would do a work in people's lives. God, that you would use us in that process, Lord, that empowered by your spirit, led by your spirit, we would, we would open up your word and we'd talk to them about Jesus. And as we do, Lord, we pray that, that you would bring fruit from those conversations and that people would come to faith and, Lord, that their eternal lives would be changed. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Church, we invite you to respond again, to pray however God leads, uh, to take a moment during this time of response to respond to Him.